fact that Abraham, though he could not see, was fully convinced, fully convinced. He did not waver. Nothing came to him that made him waver back and forth. He had some hard times ahead of him. We read these things. We know these things. The account is there for us all. Things were going to be difficult for Abraham, but it did not make him waver. So we continue in our study called Living Sacrifice, taught out of the book of Romans. This is our plan for the rest of 2020. And uh, today we are going to actually be in Romans 4. We're going to cover the whole chapter, and the sermon is called Offspring. So if you grab your copy of God's Word and follow along, Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as the seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should be the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in the faith when he was considered in his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why the faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him 
who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So as we take a look at the passage that is before us this morning, we have just a couple brief points. Point number one, faith defined. Faith defined. We need to know what we're looking at here. There are many ideas about what faith is. Many. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is biblical faith. Biblical faith. What does the Bible mean when we see faith? What exactly are we talking about here? What is it? Well, probably a better place to start and an easier place to start would be um, asking the question, what is it not? What is it not? So first off, faith is not optimism. It's not. That's, that's not exactly what we're talking about here, although that's what many people believe it to be. We think about all of these different pictures we have of optimism, and uh, we see all these crazy things happening, and the truth is many people believe that optimism is the same thing as faith, but it's not. Many Christians believe that to have faith is to be optimistic about all situations that come your way. And the truth is, that's not biblical faith. It's not. What else is not biblical faith? Biblical faith is not weighed by your feelings. Many people weigh their amount of faith by how they feel about the situation that they're in. If they feel good about the prospective outcome then they have enough faith. But that isn't faith. It's optimism. And as we already said, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith and optimism are not the same thing. Joel Osteen says, you can be happy where you are. This is the expression of optimism and not what the Bible teaches. This type of teaching tells us that how we feel about the situation is a representation of our faith. But biblical faith does not determine feelings, but rather drives our actions. So the truth is the next week may not be pretty. It may be hard, and you may be persecuted, beaten, and left for dead. Encouraging, I know. And how you feel in the midst of it says nothing about your faith, but how you act does. So if we are going to understand the faith of Abraham and how that applies to us, we must understand what faith is. What is biblical faith? How does the Bible define faith? Can it be defined? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a clear definition. Now faith is the assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Wow. That's biblical faith. Right there. That is it. So the question, point number two, how does it work? How does biblical faith work? Well, if you look at our verses in Romans 4, 1 through 8, it says this. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not, but not 
before God. What do the scriptures say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, when we work, we earn our due. But it's not how Abraham felt about God's promise. He believed it. He believed what God said. And this was counted to him as righteousness. Look back at the verse just one more time. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. It's not about how he felt about God's promise. He believed it. Remember, biblical faith is not about how you feel. It's about what you believe. So let me ask a few questions. Do you believe the sun will come up tomorrow? You say, no, of course I believe the sun will come up tomorrow. How do you know? You can't see tomorrow, can you? Well, we go by past experience. Past experience says since the sun rose this morning and the sun rose yesterday morning and every other day since I've been alive, the sun will rise tomorrow. Let me ask another question. Do you believe that your time on this earth will end? Do you believe that your life will come to a conclusion? You say, well, of course. Everyone dies. Well, how do you know? You can't see that day, can you? Well, you know because of past experience, because you've attended funerals of loved ones. And you know that we all will eventually pass on. So, faith does not depend on what you have seen or experienced. That's not what faith is. Faith is not me saying, well, I believe the sun will rise tomorrow. I have already seen the sun rise today and yesterday and the day before that. It's not based on your past experience or, or what you've seen. It's based on what you can't see. Remember, Faith, biblical faith, is the assurance of things hoped for but not seen. So we don't believe in eternal life because we feel good about it. There are some Christians out there that definitely do feel good about the idea of eternal life, but that's not why they believe. We believe not because it makes us happy, although eternal life, the idea of eternal life, should make us all happy. We should feel good about it, and it should make us happy. But that's not why we believe. We believe because God has promised it to us. Look what Romans 4, 9 through 12 says. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham before he was circumcised. 
Abraham had a long road ahead of him. When he received this promise, a long road, and he believed. He believed what God said. He was assured of the things hoped for. That's exactly what this passage tells us. Abraham had an assurance of the things that he hoped for. And that brings us to point number three. Righteousness comes by faith. Righteousness comes by faith. We need to understand the biblical teaching about the offspring. What exactly is this? What are we talking about? Well, let's look back at the promise. Genesis 22, verse 18. And it says this, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. If you follow your genealogy, you know the part of Matthew that everyone skips, that no one really wants to read. Um, Matthew 1, you will quickly find that the offspring of Abraham would be who? It would be Jesus. It be the Christ. This is the same offspring that was promised in Genesis 3.15. Remember when the curse comes about and God tells Eve that she will have an offspring and that offspring will crush the head of the serpent. Who would that offspring be? It would be Jesus. This is the same offspring that would make a way for you and I to be adopted into the family of God and to share in his inheritance. In a couple weeks, we're going to be studying this doctrine of adoption and what that actually means for us practically. But what we need to understand and take away from this today is this same offspring would make a way for you and I to be adopted into the family of God and to share in Christ's inheritance. Romans four sixteen through 19 says this. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. What is grace? Grace is a free gift. We don't earn it. Nothing we can do to attain it. If you've earned it, that's called wages. Grace is not wages. Grace is free. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. See, the guarantee comes to us by faith. It says, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist in hope. He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in the faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us 
who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, by faith, we too are counted as the offspring of Abraham and heirs to the promises. You see, maybe your family left you an inheritance, maybe they didn't, but it does not matter because the eternal reward is ours in Christ Jesus. Through Christ's blood, you and I have been made the offspring of Abraham, the attainers of the blessings, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing to think about. To think about the fact that Abraham, though he could not see, was fully convinced. Fully convinced. He did not waver. Nothing came to him that made him waver back and forth. He had some hard times ahead of him. We read these things. We know these things. The account is there for us all. Things were going to be difficult for Abraham, but it did not make him waver. It didn't. Why? Because he was fully convinced. He had the assurance that we are told That's the exact definition of faith. The assurance of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for that he did not see. He was fully convinced, it says here, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. It's the question for us today. Are you? Are you fully convinced that God is able to do as he has promised? Maybe a little more pointedly, are you fully convinced that God is able to justify you completely based on what Jesus did on the cross? Not on what Jesus did plus what you decide to do tomorrow. Are you fully convinced that God can justify you, make you clean, make you pure, deem you as righteous on the merit of Christ alone, apart from your own works. Because the Bible says that your works as a means to justify you ultimately mean nothing. Now, the Bible also says that you were created to do good works in Christ. You were created to do good works, but those works do not attain us. Salvation, they do not get us a place in the family of God. That's what Christ did. Christ made us clean. Christ made us where we could stand in the presence of a holy God and call him Father. That was based on the work that Jesus did on the cross, not on what you and I do. Yet we continue to walk down this trail where we want to hold our righteousness out and say, God, look at this. Aren't you proud? Look at all these things that I've done, all these things that I've accomplished. It was nice to my wife this week. Isn't that justifying me in some way? Aren't you happy? Now believe me, God is is happy with his children when they do what's right. But that does not make us God's children. Only faith in Jesus Christ makes us God's children. Have a look through the internet And um, I happen to come across a story of a man who holds the Guinness Book of World Records, the longest duration holding 44.09 pounds of weight with outstretched arms is 2 minutes and 39 seconds. 
a great exercise for anyone, wherever you're listening today. Grab a book, hold it straight out in front of you, level with your neck. See how long you can hold it before you have to put it down. The book, weighing two pounds, will stress you out probably in under a minute. This man, this Russian gentleman named Anatoly Eshov, he held 44.09 pounds out in front of him for two minutes and 39 seconds. 2017, May 21st, it got him the world record. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. You think about that and just ask you, how long can a person bear the weight of their sin? On their own. How long can you do it? For us to depend on our goodness is to reject the promise of God. God's promise is that you can hold all that stuff out as long as you want. You can make up all the awards for yourself. You can collect up a notebook filled with all of the good works that you do. Say, God, doesn't this justify me? No, it doesn't. When we do that, when we decide that that's going to be what we do to earn righteousness from God, to place all of our good works on some tablet and say, here, God, here it is. How long can you hold that out before you're too tired? Because some people have been doing it for a long time, trying to earn their way into God's good graces. It will not work. It will not work. For us to depend on our goodness is to reject the promise of God. And to reject the promise of God is to reject the blessing of God. Eternity is a long, long time. Long time. Listen to this once again. This is so powerful. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. You know, Christ bore the weight of sin, the full weight of the sin of humanity on his shoulders. Why? To lift us up to the Father as righteous. And our faith must be fully in him and completely independent of our goodness. It's amazing because Paul was writing this letter to a bunch of believers. And there's some people that may hear the sound of my voice right now and say, you know, you're preaching to Christians. We've already believed. I ask you, search your heart this morning. Search your heart and examine yourself. What are you depending upon? As you hear the sound of my voice, this morning as, as we're reading the scriptures together and you're hearing of these things, what are you depending on? When God says in the end, look at all these things, where is your faith? Is it going to be like those that said, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out many demons in your name? 
What Jesus say to them? I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. See, to reject God's promise, to reject it, is to say that we are good enough. Is to say that I have a goodness that is, that is fully independent of what you've done, God. Yes, I know, I believe Jesus, but also I've done this. God doesn't care. It does not earn us eternity. People may look at us and say, wow, how special that he's given all of his money to the poor. It's a great thing. Get you lots of admiration from people. But God tells us in Isaiah to stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. Christ died to clear us from that. Christ died to save us from that. Christ bore our sin on the cross that we might be redeemed, reconciled to God, brought into his family. And our faith must be fully in him and completely independent of our goodness. May that be our goal for the rest of this week, to truly just revel in all that Christ has done. Please join me for prayer. God, you are good and we are not. We have no goodness apart from you. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And Lord, uh, we tend to fall back under the law again and again and we mess up and rather than recognizing this relationship that Christ has attained for us and coming and asking you for forgiveness that we might not experience this broken fellowship, instead we just decide we're going to do things to make you happy. So God, help us to cast those things off. Help us to depend fully on you when we have areas in our life where we slip where we miss the mark, where we disobey what you have told us clearly to do, or when we just don't, when we do what you've told us not to do. God, please forgive us. Give us strength. Give our faith.